Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Let's turn in the scriptures together this morning to the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. And we will begin to look at the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we dealt with the question that the apostles asked Jesus, Why do you speak unto them in parables? What's the purpose of parables? And we noted the answer in the 13th chapter of Matthew where Jesus said, Well, because to you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it is not given... So we see God's sovereign purpose and design in, as he said, uh, revealing the Father to whomsoever he will. And the king, the parables in Matthew are often described as the parables of the kingdom. And Matthew's gospel is often referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. Simply because Matthew refers to the kingdom of God uh, a great many times. He talks about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Too cold. Not just a wand to bless a heart. <laughs> um, I told the church out of Paris one time in the wintertime, somebody would jump up and go turn the heater up. Somebody would jump up and go turn it down. I said, I wish we had a pot-bellied stove where the cold ones could get close and the hot ones could get away. But, Anyway, we, <clears throat> we hope the Word of God will warm our hearts. Um, the gospel of the kingdom, because it refers to the kingdom of God so often, and, and it's, uh, that's a very great point of emphasis in Matthew's gospel. As a matter of fact, the Lord willing, tonight I plan to, to preach on the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Um, it is It is a subject which ought to interest us greatly because we're we are commanded to press into it to labor for its glory but the first parable that we will consider is the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 which some consider chronologically to be the first parable that Jesus taught although I can't personally imagine any particular reason for uh one parable being chronologically different from another We'll begin reading Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, And the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. And then the question came privately later. The disciples said, why do you, why do you speak to them in parables? What's, what's your purpose in this? In fact, as we noticed in Mark's gospel, they themselves did not understand this parable and they often repair to Jesus privately and say, declare unto us the parable of whatever. And Jesus does that. Now, there are some basic things about parables that I think we ought to give a little consideration to this morning before we delve into this parable. And that is a, a way of interpreting parables. And there are different, different schools of, of interpretation of parables. I'm, I'm of kind of the simplistic school. 
that says that basically a parable is making a point. There's a point Jesus wants to make in the parable. He wants to make to us. And that there there may not be a whole lot of value in trying to read into the elements of a parable things that uh, that may not be intended. Now, sometimes when Jesus interprets these parables, he goes into some detail, like he does on this parable. He tells us uh, what the, the seed is. He tells us who they are who received the seed on stony places and or by the wayside, and who they were that received the seed in stony places, who who they were that received the, the seed among the thorns. And he tells us who they are who received seed on good ground. And there are certain elements of that that we may we may consider well. Um, but, uh, for instance, in the parable of uh, the ten virgins, Jesus, I think, is making a point in that parable. When we get to there, we'll notice that. That there are some people who think that they are a part of God's kingdom, but are not truly. And they are, they are left out. Jesus said, I know you not. I do not know you. Um, but some have argued, well, they're all, they're all virgins. They all had lamps. They all have oil in their lamps. Some just not enough. And argue that, that this is some sort of, of judgment that falls on people in time. Because they are not as alert as they ought to be. Um, but I believe that, that uh, fallacious observation of, the, of that parable comes from trying to read into the, the various elements something that Jesus does not uh, elucidate in any way. We're going to encounter a parable in this chapter. A man found a great treasure hidden in a field. Well, what would you do? If you found a great treasure hidden in a field, well, you'd probably be tempted to 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 uh, to conceal that fact and go talk the owner into selling the field, so that when it was yours, you could go dig up the treasure and it would be yours. Wouldn't belong to anybody else. But we would probably consider that quite unethical. But you see, the point of the parable is not you know the ethics of the, the matter. The point is, there is one thing in life so absolutely valuable that you should want it at any cost. And that's the point of the parable. All the other stuff is just superfluous uh, surmisings that bog us down in ethical questions that Jesus never intended. So, so we, want to, we want to understand this parable, and so Jesus tells us what this parable means. And so let's read further this morning and hear the parable of the, of the sower. Verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, notice he's emphasizing the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. And we'll talk about that tonight, Lord willing. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one. And catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that hears the word and anon with joy receives it. Yet he has not root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by, he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. <clears throat> now, we would try to applied our rule of interpretation of this parable and ascertain what is the point of this parable. Now, I must tell you that I've had some very sober meditations on this parable last two or three weeks, actually, as I anticipated and thought about beginning this series and how appropriate it is 
that this parable should be the first parable that we consider. Because I believe there is one primary point to this parable, and that is this. Some people hear the word and bear fruit that lasts. And there are others who do not. Now, the sobering and serious part of that is, which am I? And if you and I cannot cannot seriously and soberly consider this point, then it might be indicative of the fact that we fall into the first category of people described by Jesus. I mentioned Wednesday night that some people have gotten bogged down in this parable and the question of, is this all talking about children of God or not? That, uh, that only those that, only those that, uh, produce fruit are the children of God, those who don't aren't. Um, and I think that's, that's, uh, there's some value in, in that line of thinking. And for my part, I think Jesus summed, summed it up well and really settled that, that point. In John chapter 15, verse 16, when he said, You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now, we're not just chosen to go to heaven when we die. We are chosen to bring forth fruit to the glory of God while we live here in this world. And so, I, I don't think there's any doubt, any reasonable doubt, that, that one in these first three categories, who this is, who describes the course of their lives, the general tenor of their lives, and they die in such a state, I would not think this parable holds out to them any comfort whatsoever. And the last category which is described is those that the seed that fell on good ground and it brought forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100, would describe someone who is chosen of God, in whose heart the Spirit of God has worked, in whose life the Word of God has effect, and that they are eternally saved. Indeed. The Apostle Paul said that to the, to the Thessalonians that, that knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in, in much power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. He says, we, we know that you have been chosen of God because the Word of God was received by you and it has borne fruit in your lives. Therefore, we are persuaded that you are Chosen of God. But somehow I think maybe we, we lose sight of some things that we ought not if we narrow this whole debate down to who's children of God and who's not. The reason I say that is it behooves you and me to examine our own hearts, before God, to see how do I receive the Word of God and what does it do in in my life? Now, even as I preach this morning, according to the Word of Jesus, I am sowing seed. I'm preaching to you the Word of God. Mark tells us that the the seed is the Word of God. It's the Word which is sown. It is the Word which is preached. And so there's a word picture for us here of a sower who's, who's broadcasting seed. He's not planting corn one by one. He's broadcasting. He's, he's sowing. He's broadcasting seed, just as you would grass seed or wheat seed or some other kind of, of a field of, of, a, of a grain. And, and you, it, it makes sense to think that, that a sower is always aiming his seed at good ground. It, it doesn't make any sense to think that a sower would consciously, purposefully throw his seed away where he knows it will not bear fruit. But you see, the sower doesn't always understand and know the hearts of everyone who hears. And so he broadcasts the seed. Indeed, Jesus said that we should preach the gospel to every creature. We preach, uh, we preach the word of God as we have opportunity, sometimes in a broadcasting way, sometimes in a more specific 
way, as in one-on-one dealings, or maybe even in the church of God. But, you know, even in this congregation of people here, in this, this congregation, I mean those who have gathered up here today, you will fit one of these categories today. There may be some here who fit one of these categories consistently, one way or the other. Surely there are. We hope, it, we hope it's the good ground. But some people will hear the word of God and they will do as James tells us not to do. They will look into the mirror of God's word. They'll think about what the preacher said. They'll think about what, what he ought to do. And then he'll, he'll go his way straightway and forget what manner of man he was. Just like the person who looks into the mirror and sees that he is unkept. But rather than trying to remedy that with a comb or a wash rag or a razor or whatever, he will, he will just look at it and say, well, I'm a mess and go his way. We, we all know people like that. Well, we're not, we can't be perfect and, and you know, we, we can't just do everything like we wish we could and, yeah, the preacher preached a good sermon and it'd sure be good if we did it, but, but, ha, 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 you know, nobody can, you know what that is? That is exactly what is described in the first category of people. The seed sown. It falls onto the trodden, to the pathway where people walk. The ground is so hard that it could not possibly produce any fruit. And so the birds come, which is Satan, and devour the seed and eat it up so that it brings forth no fruit in the heart. Well, I know I ought to commit my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that there's a God in heaven and I know I ought to commit my life to Him, but maybe later. Maybe this is something I will do by and by. Maybe I'll wait for God to somehow strike me down. Maybe somehow I'll wait until God God uh, moves me with some sort of great emotional uh, uh, display. And then... I'll commit my life to Christ. And they go their way and they forget what manner of man they were. And the word of God is snatched up for them and it bears no fruit. They hear the word of God, but it means nothing. I've been wrestling about (laughs) writing another letter to the editor, not to the Sentinel, this time to the commercial appeal. And uh, over a political cartoon that was in there Thursday. And in this political cartoon... In this political cartoon, um, there's this cross on top of a high pedestal. And this pedestal has this huge crack in it. And it's cracking all the way up to the cross itself. And, and, uh, the, and along the crack is, is a homophobic reaction to the Episcopal Appointing of, of a gay bishop, and and uh, no no comment in the in the in the political cartoon. That was it. And the fact of the matter is, the the cartoon was setting forth the fact that those people who who were against a homosexual being appointed to this position, they were splitting and the, the uh, splitting what was what was called also in there somewhere the spirit of Christ. Now, whoever would say such a thing has such a dismal, an abysmal lack of understanding of biblical principles that you think sometimes, you think of the words of Jesus when he said, to not cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. But I, I have thought about, you know, homophobia, that's the big catchword of, of the day and, and the the, uh, the homosexual people of our day trying to seize the moral high ground by saying that everyone who doesn't believe in homosexuality or think that that's a, uh, a, a, an acceptable way of life, they, they're homophobic. Phobia meaning fear of. Homo meaning of a homosexual. You're afraid of homosexuality. And so because you're afraid of that, you're, you're intolerant. And you don't have the Spirit of Christ, which certainly the Spirit of Christ would cause there to be an all-inclusiveness and everybody ought to be welcomed in and every kind of lifestyle. And who are we to say 
that one is one is bad and, and one is evil. Well, my letter goes something like this. It's still in my head. It may not ever get on paper. Um, but that the, the political cartoonists may not have stopped to consider that our opposition to, to homosexuality is something deeper than a fear of homosexuality. It is, in fact, a fear of God. We have a fear of God. And because we, we have this respect and reverence for God, we are opposed to what He is opposed to. And if there's anything that is crystal clear in the Bible is that God is opposed to sodomy. No one who, who thinks seriously on the Word of God uh, denies that. But, you know, they've got these new ways of interpreting the Bible and that allows for this and allows for that and this all-inclusiveness and you're being mean-spirited and hard-hearted and, and even, even you're against the Spirit of Christ if you oppose this. Well, you know what that tells me? I don't know if this guy's ever heard any real gospel preaching or not. I, I'd say the, the possibility seems a little bit on the slim side, whoever Bill Day is. Um, but if he has... It bore no fruit. He didn't understand it. And and you think, do I say something or, or do I not? But you see, in the congregation of the Lord, in the church of God, we're to preach the truth of God's Word. Not thinking naively that everybody who's sitting out there is just soaking up the preaching and, and they love the instruction of the gospel and they, they, they love the Word of God. Now, there's no detail given us here about how the good ground got good. And so I might be violating my own principle of interpretation if I were to try to delve into that a great deal. But you see, it just makes sense to think that, that a farmer has, has, uh, has aimed his seed at ground which was prepared to receive it. Had been plowed or, or whatever, the grass had been gotten out. His aim was always for a certain place. Some of it blown by the wind. Some of it inadvertently in some way cast into places that he did not mean. Maybe as in, as in the, the uh, stony ground, he did not realize that the ground was, was stony. He did not realize how shallow that the ground was. It looked like the possibility of good ground. It looked like it might bring forth fruit, but... But he, so he sows the seed there. And it springs up. Our, first, our second category. There may be some here this day, under the sound of my voice, who Satan will come and snatch the Word of God away from you before you walk out the door. And you will go your way, and you will forget what you are. And you will go and you will do your own thing. And make your own way. And have your own life. We're saddened by that. But we're not surprised. Jesus said it would be this way. And I think it would be reasonable for us to say that those who receive the word of God are those who have been born of the spirit. God has plowed their hearts. God has prepared their hearts. He's given them the new birth. He's given them a hunger to bring forth fruit. And so I ask all of us this morning, what is the real driving force of your life? If it's going to church, which in itself, of course, is not evil. As a matter of fact, it's commendable. But if going to church is really the driving force of your life, you will eventually fall by the wayside. Because church is, well... It's repetitive. And men by nature love change. That's why, that's why most churches play musical preachers. You know, some preacher comes in, he hangs around four, five, six, seven years, and then he moves along, some other preacher comes in. They're like the men of Athens. They always gather up to hear and tell something new and different. Have a new face, a different face. And I'm not saying everybody who does that is wicked in some way, but, um, it, it's, it's, it's indicative of, of the times in which we live. But church is people. It's you. And it's me. And, and you 
and I will inevitably disappoint one another somewhere along the way. Somehow along the way, we will we will uh, think that that this person is not what we thought he was, or wished he was, or hoped he was, or um, and and people disappoint us. And that's what the church is. Now, if church is your focus, you will eventually fall by the wayside. Um, these others that fall among the thorns, they also sprang up. They showed great early promise. But they got bogged down in the cares of this world and making money. It, it's wealth, wealth is the issue with these people. They're, they become more involved in their work and making money than they do in the kingdom of God. And by and by, when, when uh, anything comes up to disturb them, they're offended. And besides, they've got other things to do anyway. And they can also always find someplace else to go to church. If we don't have musical, musical preachers, we can play musical church. But they bear no fruit. Now, you and I ought to be eminently concerned with one thing in life. I mean eminently concerned with one thing in life. And that is bringing forth fruit to the glory of God. Oh, my dear friends, if if that drives us, then surely it's indicative of the fact that we are good ground. That we belong to God. If the Word of God is is bearing fruit in our lives, it's affecting our lives, it's changing our lives, it's making us think differently, it's making us act differently, not just from the world, but from some kind of a benign standard that that Christians would hold forth as, look, if you're doing this much, you're in pretty good shape. You know, if you're going to church three times a week, or, or most of the times of, of the week, and and you read your Bible along, pray some along the way, and you're not shooting anybody and robbing banks. Why, you know, you're in, you're in pretty good shape. And you're not nearly as bad as, as these other folks over here who are doing X, Y, and Z. But oh, that God would fill our hearts with a deep, abiding hunger to bring forth fruit for His glory. And this parable tells us how that is accomplished. It is accomplished by hearing the Word of God and applying the Word of God daily to our hearts. It is, as Paul said in Philippians or Colossians, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and knowledge. Let it, let it find a, an abiding place in your, in your life. All think not as you sit there in this congregation this morning to resist the Word of God. Oh, what a sad thing that would be for you to resist. What God is saying to you today, that the, the one thing that you and I should seek after in this life is the kingdom of God and the glory of God. Indeed, Jesus summarized that thus in, in the last verses of the sixth chapter of Matthew when he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. For after all these things do the heathen seek. Be not ye therefore like unto them. And so it is, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And there's one driving, compelling thing in our lives, and that is to bring forth fruit to the glory of God. And that is done by hearing and obeying the Word of God. When it is presented to us, when we read it ourselves, when we meditate upon it ourselves, when we hear it preached in the pulpits, then we say, I want to do what God tells me to do. But so often, it is snatched away. It brings forth no fruit. The Word of God is not always pleasant to the flesh. It does not always present to us the most appealing way. And so that brings us to consider something that's, I think, very important in this parable, although it is not dwelt on in terms of explanation. And that is this. Why is it that some people only return 30-fold, some people 60, some people 100? Why is that? And that makes me think this, that the, the uh, debate 
over whether or not these are children of God or not children of God may be somewhat misleading because of this. I would submit to you that on any given Sunday, or perhaps during any given period of your life, each of us sometimes falls into one of these categories, one of these other categories. Now, he who never understands the Word of God, he who never receives the Word of God, I don't have any problem with saying he's not a child of God. I believe God's children are going to bring forth some kind of fruit. There's going to be the bearing of some kind of fruit in their lives. But the problem is this. Here you are. Here I am. I do preaching. I hear preaching. And I know, I know when I'm sitting there that I'm resisting the Word of God. You ever felt that? I felt it. I felt before, you know, the sensation of, of, uh, at gummit that preacher's right. And he, I know I ought to be doing this, but I don't want to do this. It's too hard. It's too this. It's too that. Now, if you've never had that sensation, I praise the Lord. I, um, I suspect most of us have, have experienced that sensation of knowing the preacher's right, feeling a conviction, and, and also having some inkling of what I would need to do in order to actually uh, uh, put this to practice in my life. The sacrifice that it might call me to. And I just disregard it. And before I get out the door, Satan has snatched it up and it is gone. Now, that may not always characterize just all of those who are going to hell. It may characterize me sometimes. I don't think it characterizes the children of God consistently, pervasively. But how is it with you? Perhaps you're like sometimes the seed that's received on stony ground. You hear the preaching. You get all excited. And you want to go do what the preacher said. And... Notice what happens with the second group. He says, But he that received the seed in stony place is the same as he that hears the word and anon with joy receives it, yet not has root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He doesn't bring any fruit, forth any fruit. Tribulation, what is that? Trials and difficulties. Which of us do not experience trials and difficulties along the way? We all do. We all experience difficulties and trials along the way. And what difficulties and trials always tempts us to is to quit. Just quit. They don't appreciate it. it. It's it's not, you know, it's just like you kids. I dare say there's not a father or mother among us here who has not tried to to uh, to have some kind of active, regular family worship in his home. And you gather the kids up. And, and you have, and, and, and sometimes trying to get them involved is like pulling hen's teeth. And they sit there and they, hey yo, and it, you know, they're respectful pretty much. And they, and, and you think sometimes, hmm, I'm not, I'm not really getting anywhere with this. They're not paying attention. They don't really even appreciate it. You know, sometimes preachers get that way. Shoot. We can be peevish just like you. We're, we're men. We flesh and blood, and sometimes we get to thinking that somebody doesn't appreciate us, somebody doesn't like us, and we get to having a pity party and whining, and and that's why we go to some other church, because they'll appreciate us, you know, for five years or so, then, you know, move along, keep playing playing the game. Listen, preachers are human beings, and, and we're fallible just like everybody else. I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to us all. We hear something, we get all excited about it, we need to do this and we need to do that, but maybe somebody misunderstands our motives, somebody doesn't like the way we said it or did it, maybe somebody didn't like the way that we, uh, you know, I, 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 everybody's gun shy around here about picking out stuff in this bathroom. You know, it's, it's, a, what color you want? I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever color you want. What kind of countertop? Well, I don't know, let somebody else, you know, most people here, I, 
maybe all of us here could could go into the bathroom back there and pick out a stinking cabinet and a countertop and pick out some paint and a floor covering. And, you know, everybody's not going to like it. And somebody might not comment on it. So, so, uh, so here's what we're doing. We're painting the bathroom white and I picked out a white countertop and, and we're going to have white commodes and a white sink and, and, uh, how can anybody complain about that? The only thing about it is Sister Darlene's going to pick out floor cover and I had to ask her to do that. And, uh, somebody's not going to like what she picks out. Just as sure as I stand here, uh, or whatever it is, the color of paint or the this or the that. Um, and you know, people get peeved over the smallest things. And you know what? If there's no depth to them, they will fall away. And they will not bear fruit. The Word of God will get choked out. And all the preaching on forgiveness and all the preaching on unity and all the preaching about how we've got to look over one another for good and not for evil will eventually go out the door. Persecutions arise because of the word tribulation, difficulties, trials come along, and they will come. You remember what Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount? As a matter of fact, his closing comments in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> he said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, the kids always love to memorize this section in school. Because the next section is almost exactly like that, except you just fill in a couple of different words. But he says, Whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Then the next verse, piece of cake. Exactly like the previous verse. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Now here's a little difference. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's just preached a sermon on the mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he said, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, they've heard the word of God. And they do them, they will be like a man who is founded upon a rock. And you know, what happens when people's lives are founded upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what happens? When, not if, but when, the trials and the difficulties and the troubles and the problems come, they're going to stand. And they're going to bear fruit. And those who are not, won't. It's just that simple. That doesn't mean they're all going to hell. That's, that's maybe beside the point at this, at this point. But this next section is, I'm afraid, much more sobering. Some people, they hear the Word of God, they get all excited about it, but there's no depth to them and they fall by the wayside. They quit. They drop out. They're not around anymore. They may last a year, five, ten years, but they eventually drop out. But the next category, you know, if you think of a field, the perimeter of the field is always prone to grow up the weeds and the, the thorns and so forth. And it may have even looked prepared and and ready to receive seed, but there's those roots down under there. If everybody gardened like I did, nothing would ever grow. But Kathy, oh, not her. She's a gardener extraordinaire. It is not enough for her for the top of the grass to be cut off. Oh, no. she got to get a shovel and get the roots. And that's the way you have to do with thistles and thorns. And, and you have to dig down and you have to get the roots. And it's hard work. And... This seed is sown, and notice them. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Here's the man who is distracted. Well, he's got great intentions, but oh, there's this to do, and there's that to do, and, and family, and, and friends, and, and there's work, and there's... There's money to be made and, and all of those things vie for our hearts and they draw us away from obedience to the Word of God. Now that one, that one ought to sober us because we live in such an affluent land. And frankly, I don't know but what people who live in impoverished lands have a lot more advantage over us because even though they 
have little, they are often occupied in their minds with having a little bit more. Or maybe just having something out there. We, on the other hand, we're, we're bogged down with the cares of this world. I suggest to you that's why, why there are a lot of women who leave their homes, leave their children, because they can't have all things that they might have had without that. When the Word of God is crystal clear that they should be keepers at home, provide for their families, care for their families, care for their children. And the cares of this world. That's why a lot of fathers fail to, to, uh, have regular family worship. They, they've got a dollar to make over here. They've got money to make. They've got things that pressing in upon them and, and they turn around and their children are grown before they ever know what happened and, and they're gone. So let's not just relegate these things to these people are saved and these are not saved. These people are children of God. These people are not children of God. That, that's too simplistic. These are potential, potentially me. And if you understand that this is potentially you, and you understand the risks involved, then you will not be a forgetful hearer of the word, but a doer. Here's a sober warning in Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, the them is in italics in that passage. And it might be more appropriately translated, and we should let slip. It is we who move away from these truths, and not that is we're allowing the truths to move away from us. Either way, there's a separation between me and truth. He says we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time there comes this gap between me and the truth. Because you know what happens when there comes a gap between you and the truth? Your fruitfulness is diminished. And of course, if that becomes the habit of life, there will, ever, there will never be any fruit at all. And so why is it that some bring forth 30, some 60, some 100? Well, it cannot be anything but the attentiveness that we give to the Word of God. And so, if you were to look at your life, and I was to look at mine, and somebody says, well, how much fruit are you bringing forth? Well, I doubt if any of us could put a number on it. We would probably be more apt to try to put a number on somebody else. Well, you know, he's a 30-fold Christian. He's a, well, there's a hundred right over yonder. You know, we can peg all these folks ourselves, but when it comes to you, uh, which are you? Well, perhaps we will think on some ways for us to examine that because we ought to all hunger to produce a hundredfold. And none of us should be content with anything less. There's nothing wrong with the Word. There's nothing wrong with the Spirit of God. There's got to be some issue with how I hear it and obey it. And I must be careful that I never hear the Word of God and think, oh, yeah, not, that, that would be good if we could do it and then just dismiss it. And sometimes we do that. Then we hear a sermon on forgiveness. Well, that'd be great if we'd do it. By George, you can do it. You've got the Spirit of God. If you've been born of the Spirit, you've got the Spirit of God. You've got the Bible. You've got the Word of God. You've got a, a church where the Word of God is being preached. You can do it. And you ought to do it. You ought to give the more earnest heed. Lest at any time there comes this chasm between you and truth. Whatever truth it is. Of unity or, or giving or whatever the subject might be. Every once in a while, you know, the preacher gets all hepped up on family worship and he, and he harps on that a while and you think, well, that'd be great if I could do it. You can do it. And there's only, the only thing that will hinder you from doing it is that you just don't, you don't apply yourself and the devil comes and snatches it away before it ever has a chance to make, give root. 
Or perhaps sometimes someone maybe has offended you, your wife. Maybe she didn't, when you said, let's, come on, let's read. And she didn't just hop to and, and, and you had, and she didn't, maybe she didn't seem enthusiastic or maybe she's got a headache or maybe the wife said it and the husband says, well, I've got this to do and that to do. And you think, oh, forget all of that. Trial, tribulation. Your kids are not as, uh, as interested as they ought to be and they yawn in your face. And you just say, well, what's the point? Or persecution. One of the early issues in the church was what do you do with people who, who left when the persecution arose? I'm talking about real persecution. Not, not somebody laughing at you. Somebody thinking you look like a Pentecostal because you wear a dress. You know, I've, that deters some people. I can't just wear a dress all the time. I look like a Pentecostal. Uh, so what? <laughs> you know, who cares what you look like? If you look like what you think God wants you to look like and dress how you think God wants you to dress, who cares what you look like? And the fruit gets, well, you know, I, I've preached a sermon on modesty here. And, I, you know, I don't know what, what all it's done for, for anybody's soul. Um, but if you didn't look into that mirror really well, then there you are. And you're not going to bring forth fruit. Because you're going to be more worried about whether or not your fashions match the notions of the world than you are whether or not they match the glory of God. And your fruit will be diminished. Your witness will be diminished. Your testimony will be diminished and God will not get the fruit He deserves from your life or my life. You know, we preached on being a good husband, being a good father. Well, I went home and tried it the next week. It didn't work. You know, she she, she didn't respond well or he didn't do what he ought to do and and uh and the kid said, well, I tried to obey yesterday, but I got in trouble anyhow. So, you know, you know, persecutions arise, tribulations arise, difficulties, troubles come up. And sometimes the cares of this world and, and, and the desire for riches and, and the, the, the thinking about how to make a living and all that presses in upon us. And it steals, steals the word and makes us to be unfruitful. So how can I bring forth a hundredfold fruit for God? That ought to be our, that ought to be our great quest. Every one of us ought to have and be on the great quest of not being satisfied with less than what we know we can do. And you know, probably none of us would stand up and say, I'm a hundredfolder over here. I might point to somebody and say, well, they're probably pretty close at least. But hopefully no one would have the gall to say, man, I've reached my potential. I'm, I'm there. And so if that's the case, then you and I both know we have some room for improvement, don't we? And so it all starts with hearing the Word of God. Now, what's the simple thing about that? Well, the simple thing is being where the Word of God is, is, uh, preached. Being where the Word of God is exalted. And that comes down to a simple matter of church attendance. It does not say, uh, you know, I don't think I like the time that they've decided to meet. I'm going to just stay away on that time. You know what that shows? It shows a disregard for the Word. Not a disregard for the preacher, and a preacher ought not to take it personally. But you and I ought to think about this. You and I ought to stop and think, you know, well, it's, it's looking a little cloudy out there, you know, tonight. Maybe I better stay in. You know what that says? It says... I'm not as attentive to the Word of God. Well, Brother Mike, we all know Brother Mike. He's not going to preach anything different. We've all heard it before. We'll just go get one of the last tapes. We'll go look up the last time he preached on the parable of the sower, and we'll we'll catch up. You know what that does? It shows a real disregard for the Word of God. You don't stop to think that there's at least a slight possibility that I might say something a little bit new and different on this time than I did the last time. And you missed it. You missed it. Well, brother, brother uh, Lewis, he's a young guy and he's coming along. And and uh, yeah, if I don't hear everything he says, it won't be the end of the world. You know what? It's the word of God he's preaching. It's important. It's important to you every time. And you and I ought to live in the fear that we're going to miss something from God. No need to fear you'll miss anything from Brother Mike 
or maybe even from Brother Lewis. But you might miss something from God. Because you never know. You never know when the Word of God is going to prick you in a way that it does no one else. Sometimes people will amaze me. They'll come up to me and I'll feel like maybe I didn't have much liberty or something. And, and somebody will say, the Lord just worked in my heart as you, as you spoke on that. And, and uh, that's one of the best sermons I ever heard you preach. You know, and I'm, I'm almost offended. You know, that's the best one I ever preached. I'd hate to see the worst one I ever preached. But you see, God, God takes the Word of God and He makes it real to our hearts and you never know. That's why to attend to the Word of God is so important. You might think on a certain day, oh man, this is, I've got a lot to do today and there's, there's so much business about and things to do and I, I, I don't have time to read the Bible today. Oh. Oh, what a lack of respect for the Word of God that, that, that displays. You may not have time to brush your teeth. But you ought to have time to spend a little time at least in God's Word every day. It's God's Word. It's what He has designed to sow in your life eternal truths from which only fruit can attend. And then we ought to attend these things seriously, soberly, with an open heart, with an open mind. And notice this connection. Back in, back in Colossians, I alluded to it a while ago. I've just... This has kind of clicked with me more in the last week or so. When he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and knowledge. And the next verse. What is the very next verse in Colossians? You think you'd say, now, the way you do this is read your Bible and go to church and listen to the preaching. Well, of course, that's part of it. But that's not the next verse. The next verse says, singing to yourselves. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He's telling us this, that the eternal truths of God's Word, which men are, are enabled to put into poetry and other men put to music, what that does, it brings the Word of God richly to your heart. That's why it always grieves me when people don't sing. And, you know, I, I try to tell myself and hope it's true that, well, maybe they're singing in their hearts. Maybe, maybe, you know, their, their voices aren't holding up or, you know, I've, I've about come to the place where I've told several people, I, I guess I'm going to have to quit preaching or singing one because my voice just gives out when I try to do both. Um, but mercy, I believe I just, I, somebody just take me out and shoot me when I can't sing. Cause I, you know, I want to sing. I want to sing praises to God because it's turning the eternal truths of God's word in a, in a way that very few things can into immediate praise for God. That's why the, the song service here is, is extremely important. That's why singing is an important part of the public worship of God. All throughout the scriptures, they're singing praises to God. That's not just some, uh, some just insignificant, unimportant part of, of the worship of God. It is a vital, central part of worship. And if you don't participate, you are a loser. And you will, you will never be able to bring forth a hundredfold fruit. You see, we've got to apply ourselves to all of the, all of the tools that God has given us. The simple tools. Go to church, read your Bible, sing when you come to church, enter in, pray for your preacher. Those are the things that are the simple things that, that we, that we can do. And then when we read the Word of God or we hear the Word of God, there ought to be something in our souls that says, I'm going to do that. I've got to beat what I've been doing. I'm going to do better. And it's not just some some just passing. I, I, not like the man who, who the seed fell on the stony place. He doesn't jump up and down. And say, All right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get excited. I'm going to, I'm going to get on fire for God. And then a week later, you know, something comes up. And where'd they go? I don't know where they, where they are. Do you want to bring forth a hundredfold fruit to God? It all centers around the Word. Do you believe that? It all focuses on the Word. Preached, read, sung, meditated upon. It focuses on the Word. Now, it's more than just reading your Bible and going to church, obviously. It's making application of that. Asking God to make this real to your hearts. But let me warn you this solemnly. Don't be content. To be a 30-fold Christian. Whatever that is. Don't, don't be content with that. Be grateful you're in the kingdom. 
It'd be great to have the spirit of oh, Brother Reggie Rhodes. He working around the church. Brother Zach told him, said, Brother Reggie, that's going to be an extra star in your crown. You know, Brother Zach, yeah. Brother Reggie, in his Eorian way, says, Brother Zach, I just hope I've got a crown. <laughs> well, we ought to just be glad we've got a crown. But you know what? We ought to be more than just glad we're able to bring a basket of fruit to God. We ought to, we ought, we ought to want to bring much fruit. And Jesus said that. He said, herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. Now, what is the fruit? Uh, just briefly, we could go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, when he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, all the kindness, all those things that are listed there that are called the fruit of the Spirit. And we do not pass by them lightly, but we would just say this, that when you are hearing the Word of God with an intent to obey, as Brother Wallace used to well say, hearing it with an intent to obey, you know what that's going to do? It's going to make you joyful. And you know what that is? It's fruit to God. It's fruit to God when people are joyful, when people are, are patient, when people are kind and generous and gentle and, and, and long-suffering and forgiving and all of those things. That's fruit. That's fruit for God. It's obedience to the commands of God's Word. And so, let us think in closing on the four categories. And think about yourself this day. Ah, there's the moment I'm always waiting for. Hey, look, I've sat in the pew and heard lots of preaching. I always kind of... When the preacher closes his Bible, I kind of get this, alright, we've, we've done it this time. <laughs> and I, I'm quite well aware of the fact that time passes a lot quicker in the pulpit than it does in the pew. But while I say that, I say this to you today. Perhaps God has convicted you on some point, And Satan has already tempted you to block it out of your mind. I'm I'm okay just like I am. I, yeah, well, I'm, maybe I'm not a hundredfold Christian, but, you know, I don't want to be a fanatic. I tell you, I want to be like that couple over there in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. They said they had addicted themselves to the ministry of the people of God. They addicted themselves. You know, that makes us think when we hear that Sister Yane's got a bad headache and she's not doing well. It makes us it makes us go beyond the thought that, well, you know, she had a baby a little while ago and we took food down there and, and her mama was sick, we took food and she's you know sick, we took food and and uh, you know just how how far can you go with this thing? Well, I tell you how far you go. You go. You go until you please God. And it's not it's not some dread of a oh, work day at church. Ah, I got stuff to do. I got people to go places to to. Places to visit and, and uh, people to see. I can't, I can't give any attention to that. I can't be a part of God's church because, you know, really I'm pretty good like I am. I can't commit my life to Jesus Christ because maybe I'm, I'm not even ready to do that. I, I've, I've got some wild oats I want to still sow. And, and uh, oh, listen, Satan is always there ready to snatch the Word of God away from you. And then... There are always the cares of the world, the troubles and trials that come along in life, the tribulations, the pursuit of wealth. Don't let that deter you from serving God with all your heart, loving Him with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. May God bless this message. And may God bless His Word always to bring forth much fruit in our lives to His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we uncomfortably see ourselves in some of these things. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who hasn't, please be merciful to them and let them. But Lord, we're thankful that you've given us the precious treasure of your word. You told it you called it a precious treasure. 
when the Apostle Paul says that this treasure of the gospel, of the word of God, we have in these earthen vessels, that is, mere men preach it, so that the excellency of the knowledge may be of God, not of men. Lord, help us to believe what a treasure we have in, in the word of God. In hearing it, reading it, meditating upon it, there's no end to what we could do. And so, Lord, I pray that also none of us would would let the trials and difficulties of life, the disappointments of people, drive us from the Word. Nor would we allow persecutions to hinder our bearing fruit. Certainly, Lord, help us that we'd not let the cares of this world and the riches of this world do that. We'd never let our jobs um, or the pursuit of property or things cause us to violate principles of Scripture. Lord, bless us always to be willing to, to have less or do with less if it meant more fruitfulness in the kingdom. Help us, O Lord. Give us strength that we could bear fruit. Lord, we hunger to bear fruit for you. And bless each one of us to hunger to bring forth a hundredfold. To bring forth the most possible. Not be content with just dragging along. Help us, O oh God. We need you because we're weak creatures of dust. And we'll, we'll get by with as little as we can by our own flesh. Help us, O oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.